0: Uh, We are going to read two parts to this text. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 4, and then 21 through 26. Verse 22 will be the portion. So Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 4, let us hear God's word. But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Let us go down now to verse 21 to 26. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob. But thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of thy burnt offerings. Neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering, nor wearied thee with incense. Thou hast brought me no sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices. But thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Amen. God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Our gracious God, how gracious art thou, O God, and how sinful we are to be weary of such grace. And so, Father, as we come to the word preached, we pray that the minister would preach to the people of God in such a manner, in such a manner, Father, that we would never find weariness with God ever again, that it would be the Spirit that would make not just the minister not weary of the Lord, but also the people. We pray that you would fill this place with the Spirit of God through the preaching of the Word of God, Uh, that you would be glorified in it, and that the servant of the Lord would get out of the way of the Word of God and point the people of God to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray now that the Holy Spirit would show us the Father by showing us Christ, and that we would be enraptured by Him. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the worst qualities of our sinful flesh is that it finds ever-blessed God to be tiresome, to be a burden to us, that He who only can give us rest We who are weary of so much, the one who says, come unto me and I will give thee rest. We find ourselves weary of him. And perversely, our flesh finds weariness in God. And yet so much pleasure and delight in the things that ought to weary us. The world and sin especially. And we take little delight in the Lord. And yet we take so much delight in the things that will cause us ruin. So often we are guilty of the Lord's chastisement in verse 22. Thou hast been weary of me. And I thought it would be altogether proper, right, just to hear that word and to close the book now and for us to sit here in astonishment for the next hour, meditating on these dread words. Thou hast been weary of me. Thou hast been weary of me. What a thing it is that we are often weary of God. If we knew, Who God is. And this is why it has to be preached because we are guilty of not knowing who God is. And yet we are so weary of him and it would be an awful thing to us. We have to ask ourselves today in the preached word, could God be saying to you or to me, thou hast been weary of me? We ought never to be weary of the Almighty because if we knew him, we would say he is delightful. He is the one who bears all of our burdens. I will go to the Lord and not be weary of him because he bears me up. I want you to think on this fact, beloved, and diagnose something in your soul. Uh, Is it not a fact? Is it not the truth of God's word that you Christian will delight in the Lord forever in eternity? That there will not be a moment that goes by in eternity where you will not delight in him. There will not be a single moment where you will say, I am weary of God and eternity is forever. No, that's actually the other place, right? That's hell. Um, You will say forever that I am delighting in God. I am refreshed moment by moment and i will never weary of him. What is the difference in the eternal state from now? Is it that God is different? No, we will be different. We will be glorified. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what we find is that in glory, we will be totally changed and glorified such that we will enjoy God perfectly forever. And if you think of that as glory, then what we think is we uh, today, today I am to be sanctified in such a way. I am to change today to be something more like what I will be in glory If I am weary of God, there is something in me that has to change to be like what I will be one day. And I am to put away whatever it is that causes me to be weary with God so that I delight in him. So that he might not say to me, thou art weary of me. So we are to be changed bit by bit. And this text is a text that God has mightily used in his people to sanctify them so that they may enjoy him. Uh, Our young children, they know the truth of the first question answer of the catechism, don't they? The chief end of man is what, boys and girls? To glorify God, and sometimes we stop there. But what's the other part? Enjoy him forever, right? It's not just that we glorify God, it's we also enjoy God. We don't find him wearisome. Uh, That's not our design. That's not what we are made for. We are meant to enjoy God such that we find refreshment in him. So with that as our holy aim, to not uh, be weary of him, let's think of the contrary, which is to delight ourselves in God, delight ourselves in God. And we'll divide our time into three heads. First is God's love. Second is our weariness. And third is God's grace. First, God's love. Now, as you may remember from last week in the 44th chapter of Isaiah, you find that this portion of God's word is about the Lord showing his people who will be in exile. Great comfort that he will redeem them. He will save them. This is one of the richest portions of God's word. Beginning um, earlier in Isaiah chapter 42, we find the servant of the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming forward and forth in this prophecy, in this portion of God's word. And he tells his people that he will save them, though their sins had caused their ruin and their exile. We are introduced to the servant of the Lord then, God's son, whom God's soul delights in. And in chapter 42, we read, a bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. And uh, we find here that what is behind all of this is God's covenant commitment to us, as we heard last week that he will ever be a God to his people and he will do whatever is necessary to save them. And so again, we are already seeing the great sinfulness it is to be weary of such a God as this. And we'll discover more. If we would simply remember, in other words, who God is and who he has been for us and who he will ever be to us, we, like David at his very best, would never tire of the Lord, but would ever pant for him. Seeing who he is to his people, We would desire him and we would say, I cannot get my fill. So I began by reading these first four verses of our text to set before us who God is, to see how the Lord introduces himself and that our weariness would be blotted out if we would know his relation to us. In the first verse, we are reminded it is Jehovah who speaks. Thus saith the Lord, that is Jehovah that created thee. Jehovah, who is this? What does this mean? What is the name of God here uh, signifying? I am that I am. Self-existent, eternal, uncreated, ever-blessed, most high God, possessor of heaven and earth, holy and pure, love, almighty in power, infinite, majestic, glorious, a perfect triunity of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, these three being one God, utterly perfect, as we have already heard today, where all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom are hid, This is Jehovah, all blessedness in him. And the thing is, before we contemplate one bit what he has done for us, we need to contemplate who he is. Because if we actually knew who God is, you know, for us, often God is just a three-letter word, isn't it? But here is God, holy and majestic, And powerful, you know, a contemplation of him would make us then astonished that we would ever be weary of him. Instead, to contemplate the the majesty of God would be to delight in him. You know, this has been very much a recent meditation of mine, um, not unique in any means to me. But one of our biggest problems uh, as Christians, beloved, is that we are not often in awe and delight of God in himself for himself, as we ought to be. Instead, think of this, how much of us frame our religion purely over this question, what has God done for me? When you frame your religion in that way, you are to miss the point of it entirely. Rather, the first point is that we ought to contemplate the question, who is the Lord? Who is he? This most perfect being that made me in all things, that never had a a beginning, that never uh, lacks for anything, that has perfect love in himself and so on. Who has life to give to me, who can create all things with the word of his power. And then, only then do we contemplate his works. And even when we contemplate his works, we often miss the point that his works are a revelation of his character as well. His works reveal him. The works of God, as our children know, are two kinds. First, his work of creation, creating all things in the space of six days and out of nothing by the word of his power. But then second, his works of providence, by which he governs all things. The greatest work of providence, of course, being our redemption from our sin and misery. But what we miss is that the works of the Lord reveal him. They are meant to magnify him. You are to look beyond his works to the God who works. For instance, in the creation, how does the apostle Paul speak of it in Romans 1, 19 and 20? Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it to them, unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Right? The creation, it declares the glory of God. And so when we look on the creation, You are never to stop and say, look at that wonderful mountain, look at that wonderful galaxy, look how stunning, look how beautiful, look how powerful. No, you go and you look beyond and you say, this is my God who has made this. Look at his wisdom, look at his majesty, look at his power, look at this revelation of God and how small I am in comparison to the Almighty. And even when uh, David looks at his own creation, he doesn't just say, look at how wonderful I am. He says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made by my Creator. My existence reveals God. Boys and girls, especially in this time and age, I would just say, spend more time looking on the creation than your devices. That way you can have high and lofty thoughts of God. Then in the works of providence, we find a revelation of God's goodness. Romans 8.28 All things work together for good to them that love God. That we look at every providence and say, This is working for good because God is good. And God is love. What men mean for evil, God means for good. Providence shows his goodness. He sends His rain, the rain on the just and the unjust alike. When you see the rain, then what do you say? God is good and does good to all. And most especially in our redemption, we find God reveals the riches of his glory on the cross. Romans 9.23 says, we are redeemed. Why? That he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. See, it's not enough to say, I am saved. It is uh, to go beyond that and say, look at the God that saves. Look at his character. Look at his being. Look at his love. Look at his mercy for a sinner like me. That is how we go further with the contemplation of God's works. Never missing the God behind them. And if we would, then every day we would find delight in God and not be weary of him. He has given me breath this day. His mercies are new every morning, as he has said. He has sustained me. He has brought me through the wilderness, as we heard this morning. And we would richly enjoy him. And so, in view of that, and I know I've brought some doctrine that isn't directly connected to the text, let's look at the text itself, and let me summarize it for you, the first portion. Look at who this God is and his works. In verse 1, he created us as a people, he made us out of nothing. We, like Abraham, uh, were made a nation who were once not a nation. There's nothing good in us, as we heard in our call to worship, to make us as people. There's a God who tells us not to fear because he has redeemed us. He says, I have redeemed thee. And that's in the perfect tense, as though it is done. Though for these exiles, their redemption from exile is yet to happen. And he says that I will do what I promised. This is prophetic, perfect tense in the Hebrew, meaning it is certain. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, 10 chapters from now, you will read in a similar way, the Lord hath laid on him, meaning Christ, the iniquity of us all. What that, that, that sort of past tense there is showing that uh, it's as though our redemption has been accomplished, though it is future yet. And so this is the God who's not going to change his mind, who will redeem his people, showing his steadfast commitment to us, his people. Christ is all throughout this text. In verse 1, this God has called us by our name and says, thou art mine. We belong to Him. We are His peculiar possession. We are the apple of His eye, and yet we have been weary of Him. In verse 2, He pledges to ever be with us when we travel through the dangers of this world. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. He will save us to the uttermost. He will bring us through fire and water, through judgment, We will pass through into heaven, and our sins will not condemn us if we're in Christ. And he says, because I will be with thee wherever thou goest. You are too weary of me, and yet I will go with you. And I will not be weary of you, sinner. And I will send my presence with you. In verse 3, he says he is Jehovah thy God. You know, the God of such exquisite perfections is our covenant God in Jesus Christ. He says, you can call me yours, because I have made a covenant to be thy God, and I will always be yours. And so fittingly, he calls himself thy Savior. He will save us and never cease to save us, yet thou hast been weary. He then says he gave Ethiopia, Egypt, and Seba for us as a ransom. The meaning is something like this. Why is it that the people of God endure and yet Egypt is destroyed? It's because God has loved us. You know, we're no better than they, right? Uh, Yet we are saved and they are destroyed. Pharaoh drowns and the people are saved. Pharaoh's firstborn is killed and God slays his firstborn for us. And it's a remarkable thing, beloved. It makes you contemplate divine love. It's just that word. Why us, O God? Why are we plucked out of the fire? Why are we not like Pharaoh? Why are we not drowned? You remember Malachi 1, that first awful question or questioning of God's love. God says, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet the people said, wherein hast thou loved us? You know, here's a people weary of God. And they ask him staggeringly, how have you loved us? The answer, you remember, is Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. What does he mean by that? He says, why is it that Edom is destroyed, but Israel, Jacob still endures? It's only because I loved you and I didn't love Edom. I hated Esau. And that's why Edom is destroyed, not Because you are uh, powerful and better than them. Only my love. And if you cannot acknowledge the fact that you exist. And your existence is a sign that I love you. How great your sin is. (sighs) And the church exists, of course. And so we see the love of God. Even though her enemies have been on the ash heap. And so it is here in Isaiah 43, verse 4. He says also most staggeringly, Thou wast precious in my sight. Thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. We are precious in his sight, yet we say we are weary of God. This all comes to a head, of course, when we look on all of these words in the first four verses in the person and work of Jesus Christ, right? God commendeth his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Though we are weary of him, what do we hear of uh, the Lord as he, he, uh, he, he labored relentlessly for our salvation? He did not grow weary. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. Isaiah 62, 1. He did not rest. He was not weary of us. He bore us up. We knew that the Savior had no place to lay His head. He did not rest, though, until His work was complete on the cross. He did not rest until He said, It is finished. And said, Father, into Thy hands I commend my spirit. What a thing it would be for Him to have wearied of us. He doesn't weary of us, beloved. Yet Thou hast been weary of me. You know. What we ask here is, who is this God who takes creatures of the dust like us, worse sinners like us, and blesses us so richly with himself? This is the meditation, and this is where we ought to camp for some time if we had more time. Who is this God that loves us so? How incredible and extraordinary. We would say, blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. And we wouldn't be weary. We would delight in him. Psalm 68, 19. So it's in view of all this in this first portion of the chapter that we come to our second heading, which is our weariness. Now we drop down to verse 22 and find the Lord's charge. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob, but thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Now the reason that the Lord sent his people into captivity is because they wearied of him, And they chased what? Idols instead. They chased idols because they were weary of their beloved. They were weary of their husband. You see this in Hosea as we have heard it preached, right? That they were weary of the true God, but instead they went to, to idols, which is absolutely perverse, of course. Because when you take the true God, Jehovah, and all that he is to his people as a covenant God, and you compare them to idols, what do you find? How can they compare idols are as the word idol in the Hebrew signifies and are empty and vain things They cannot bear your soul. There is nothing in them beloved and yet we are never tired of our idols and we are tired of the true God. This is the perverseness of the human heart. They're not real. They cannot support our soul. They are flotsam. They are chaff. They have not made you. They do not govern anything. They do not love. They do not care about you. They do not think on you. They cannot make commitments to you. They cannot carry your soul or your body because they cannot even carry themselves. One of the Isaiah is full, as you know, of vivid pictures of the futility of idolatry. One of my absolute favorites is two chapters or three chapters later, in uh, chapter 46. If you'd like to turn there, it's just a few pages, probably over. Uh, I'll read the first four verses: "Bell boweth down, Nebo stoopeth. Their idols were upon the beasts and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavy laden or loaden. They are a burden to the weary beast. They stoop, they bow down together, they could not deliver the burden, but themselves are gone into captivity. Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb. And even to your old age I am he, and even to whore hairs or or gray hairs will I carry you. I have made, and I will bear, even I will carry and will deliver you. Now this is one of the most wonderful uh, pictures of idolatry. You know, Babylon is going to be conquered by Persia and their idols, uh, Bel and Nebo, they're going to be carted away and taken to, to Persia like junk. And what are they to the beasts who carry them? They're a burden to the beasts. They cannot, uh, alleviate anyone's burdens. In fact, they themselves are burdens and, and they sort of totter and topple down on the carts and they just sort of fall down and bow down before dumb animals. This is a wondrous and wonderful picture of idolatry in turning to anything but the true God. And what he says is, Consider me. Hearken unto me. Look at me. I have borne you from the womb. Even to your old age, I can carry you. I have made and will bear and will deliver you. This is the God of Jacob. This is the God of Jesus Christ. He bears us up. And yet we are weary of him, and we turn to these idols. And, beloved, let me remind you of this fact. The soul that chases after idols will find themselves weary because the idols are just burdens to your soul. Uh, They're kind of like a drug, in a sense, though, if the Lord doesn't smash them. Because you see what drugs do to folks, right? They take a hit, they they then start to weary, they know on a greater high. And they continue to chase and chase and chase, and they're just destroyed more and more by the drug aren't they? And idols are the same way, and we're so stupid, and we're so stupid in the flesh to turn away from the real and true and living God that can bear us up, and we don't seem to get our fill of idols. The perverseness of the human spirit, the sinful human spirit, that is. And brethren, you are unlikely to be bowing down to Bell and Nebo, but anything in this world, persons, an inordinate desire for something, even A desire for other circumstances that displaces the first place God must have in your heart is idolatrous. And you can see that in the First and Tenth Commandments. So don't just think, children, of statues as idols. Anything your heart harbors that you find a greater delight in and desire for than God is an idol. You can just sum it up that way for the theme here. Anything you desire and delight in more than God is an idol to you. Well, so the question is, and it's posed here, have we been weary of the Lord, yet delighting in idols, in the world, in sin? Well, the Lord gives us areas of examinations here in this text by which we can examine our hearts. The first is in verse 22, uh, directly associated to being weary, but thou hast not called upon me. Here's a good way to check if you are weary. Who do you call on? Who do you call on in your time of trouble? Do you call upon the Lord? Or is he the last person you call on in your troubles and trials? Who do you call on as well, child of God, when you need refreshment for your soul and you are feeling weary? Do you go to the Lord? Or do you go elsewhere? Do you call on the Lord as the first port of call? When even, not just trouble, but you have joys to express. Your soul is uh, delighted, and where do you go? Do you call on the Lord? You know, this morning we saw the disciples, they rejoiced, didn't they, in in the work that God had done, Christ had done through them, and they come rushing to Jesus to express their joy. Is that where we are? Do we call on the name of the Lord in every case? Do we call upon him first thing in the morning if we can, and last thing in the evening? Right. Where do we find, you know... Why do we not call on the Lord? The answer is clear. We are weary of Him. Our prayer life does show whether we are weary of God. You just have to be that blunt. When we don't call on the name of the Lord, we are weary of Him. When we think of, this is how backwards we are, right? Prayer is a means of grace by which God ministers to us. And yet we are too weary to go to prayer. Because we are not just weary of praying, we are weary of God. This also has a sense of weariness of divine worship as well. We do not desire to call upon the name of the Lord. That, that can also be in the case of worship, which is the context of our text, particularly God's people weary of serving him. When we ask our soul, right, we consider I won't ask you to consider this out loud, but consider it when, when we say to in our soul, which God sees, do I have to go to worship? Do I have to go to the house of God? Do I have to go not just into the public place, but uh, do I have to go to the secret place? Do I have to go to family worship? Do I have to do these things? What are you saying? I am weary of God. Thou hast been weary of me. That's what God is saying. You say, I am tired of these ordinances. I'm tired of worship. God says, thou hast been weary of me. Let's just get that straight. That way we don't pretend. And he said that it showed in verse 23. Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of thy burnt offerings. Neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering nor wearied thee with incense. Here is it. Here it is. How were they wearied with him? God said it's because they wanted a cheap religion. A cheap religion that cost them nothing. In two ways. First, they did not even bring him the smallest portion of their flocks for an offering. He says, not even the small cattle. Meaning that they had greater cattle to give him, and yet they would not bring the best. They wouldn't even bring the smallest of the flock. They were for a cheap religion. They had no desire to serve the Lord. Serving the Lord to them was a great weariness. Some of us have much more to give the Lord. Whether it be uh, that we actually have given and and There's a great case here to be made that what they were doing is they were giving the best to their idols. And so oftentimes we find that we give the best portion, whether it be our time or our energy, our affection, yes, even our money. We give all that to to others and other things. The Lord doesn't ask for it all, but he asked for the first place in it all, doesn't he? And if we don't have a desire to do it, we have to say we are weary of the Lord. (sighs) The reason that serving the Lord is like pulling teeth is because we are weary of him. And second, what they gave him, they did not honor him with. Neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifices. Okay, then there are some who are giving the sacrifices to the Lord. And yet, he says, in that action, they were not honoring him. What does that mean? Well, this speaks of our attitude to the ordinances of God. Right now, obviously, and I shouldn't have to say this to you, we don't offer sacrifices today. So this deals with the, the broader point, which is a weariness in the ordinances of God. How are we when we come to the ordinances, word, sacrament and prayer? You know. I have found that even among Reformed Christians, we seem to have this thing uh, thought that the ordinances operate ex opere operato, like the Roman Catholics do, that they sort of work magically and require no sense of faith in us in order to be blessed by them. As if God does not want our faith and love engaged in them. And so, so many Christians who have a, a commitment to orthodox ordinances uh, have a commitment to the regulative principle of worship and God says, Thou hast not honored me in them. Why? Because if if our faith and adoration are not engaged in the ordinances, if we are weary of God and we come to present ourselves before the Lord, God says, Thou hast not been honorable in these sacrifices you offer. By faith, yes, we believe that God is found and God is glorified and God is even enjoyed in his ordinances. To be weary of his ordinances is to be weary of God himself because God gives himself to us in the ordinances. In the word of God, he's giving himself to us. This is the word of God. To be weary of the word of God is to be weary of God. Let's not mince words. To be weary of prayer where the Holy Spirit is said to be operating in, to bring our our groanings before God, is to be weary of God. To be weary of the sacrament where we see so vividly Christ given to us is to be weary of God. And on and on it goes, beloved such that to even keep the ordinances pure and proper without seeing him in them is a grave and terrible sin. You remember the haunting words of Zechariah 7, verse 4, after their 70 years of exile. So it's connected later on. When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even those 70 years, did ye at all fast unto me, even to me? Was fasting an ordinance of God? Was he happy with his people just because they engaged in fasting? And they did it regularly. No. He says, did you do it for me? Was I in your fasting? Did you observe it for me? He He doesn't find it honorable if we engage in the right ordinances without the heart for it, which is to say, without a heart for him. And so one of the markers that we are wearied of God is if we are wearied of the ordinances of God. Remember Malachi one thirteen, when it came to keeping God's ordinances, the people said, Behold, what a weariness is it. In other words, thou hast been weary of me. This is often the case, beloved, and I've reflected on this often, and you probably have too. When you think of the very simple ordinances that the Lord has given us in the New Testament, the preaching and reading of the word, the prayers of the saints, the Lord's Supper and baptism, the Psalms sung, fasting and other uh, less regular ordinances. But what does our flesh say to these? Behold, what a weariness it is. Can't I find something more exciting? And if you look at the worship services of most of the church today in this place, we know it will not always be that way. It is because God's people are weary of him. Why does a man not get up here and plainly preach the word, but instead gives you a comedy routine? Because you are weary of God, is why. Feed my flesh. Why is it that men tickle the ear? Why is it that they invent ordinances that were never uh, given by the Lord and we find all kinds of crazy things in the worship of God? Because thou hast been weary of me. We are to engage these simple ordinances knowing that they reveal God. And if we are tired of these ordinances, as plain as they are and as, as clearly as they show us Jesus Christ, Christ says, thou hast been weary of me. But let me not take us off the hook, because again, you can have the right ordinances, but we weary of God. We sing the Psalms very good, but do we honor him with the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips from our heart? When the word of God is read or preached, are we engaging in it? We say, well, this is just my allotted time. I guess I'll do my duty before God and then I'll be out of here soon enough. And when it comes to prayer, so often despised by us, do we have no sense of our need for God? And do we not recognize that we are coming before the Almighty himself? You must ask, if you struggle with the ordinances, do I delight myself in the Lord? Are your daily devotional exercises like pulling teeth, beloved? I suppose, I guess, I must go and do my Bible reading and prayer. But what does God say to that? Thou hast been weary of me. Now, all of these things, I think, you can observe in your conduct in public worship, private worship, family worship. And you can evaluate where you are in this. But there are so many of us who are just find the worship of God unless we add and add and add to it to the point where it no longer looks anything like the worship of God in the Bible. We find ourselves weary, uh, but we must never be weary of God, not in the secret place or in the public worship of God. You know, even in the Old Testament, here are these ordinances. Were they ever really framed as being apart from God? You know, we often say, what a wonderful thing it is. We don't have to offer bulls and goats. But what did the the faithful believer see in the bulls and goats? The Lamb of God come to uh, save us from our sins, who taketh away the sin of the world. The problem is so many missed that. And they missed Christ, that God was in the ordinances in Christ. And so we have to see Christ in all the ordinances. And if we are tired of them, we are tired of God. Here's another marker of being weary with the Lord. You have to ask ourselves, why are so many of us weary of the Sabbath day? Right? Of spending a day of rest with Jesus Christ, away from this world for 24 hours. Why are we weary of the Sabbath? Because we are weary of Christ. Thou hast been weary of me. But what is it that we find in the heart of the child of God in Isaiah 58? Again, Isaiah, right? Seeing this duality of wearisome, uh, being weary with God, but then showing what we ought to be, delighting in God. Isaiah 58, if thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath the what? Delight, the holy of the Lord honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, or speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. We go our own ways and find our own pleasure on the Lord's day. Why? Because we do not savor the things of God and we don't delight in him. It is to the child of God who says, I am weary of the Lord's day, that he says, thou hast not been weary of the day, thou hast been weary of me, the one in the day. You remember, this was the complaint of the people in Amos, Amos 8.5, the people complain, when will the Sabbath pass that we may sell wheat? Thou hast been weary of me. Think of this, to to, uh, exchange the Lord for lucre. When can I go and work so I can make what I really want to serve, as in Matthew 6, mammon? That is what we say when we are weary of the Lord's day. The thing is, and this is what really convicts us, the Lord says, though you are weary of me, I am the one who ought to be weary of you. Verse 24, but thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. You know, there's a close association with our attitude towards the ordinances of God in worship and committing sin. You know, we often, those of us who have no heart for the ordinances of God, we find here, we go and we sin with abandon, reckless abandon. And what we do is we make Christ to be a minister of sin. In other words, we say, I am very glad that Christ will take away all my sin, but I am so weary of him. And so what happens? We go and we sin with abandon. In Galatians 2.17, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. He says here in verse 24 in our text, thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Now, God says, I am weary of bearing up a people who are weary of me and will love sin and then make me a minister of their sin. Brethren, everything is so totally reversed by our sinful flesh. We want God to serve us. We want God to forgive us. We want God to not be weary of forgiving us. And yet we are weary of Him. And we are weary of serving Him. He says he absolutely hates this. He absolutely despises it. This is how Isaiah begins after all. In Isaiah 1, 14, 15, Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Beloved, be weary of sin, but not of your God. Be weary of your sin, but not of your God. Say, mourn your sin, despise your sin, what a thing it would be if you would mourn every day, I am so weary of sinning. I am so weary of serving my sin. But I delight in my God in whom I have every blessedness. And would you not say then, oh my soul, I want God. I don't want sin. I want to be like Moses in Hebrews 11, esteeming the reproach of Christ instead of the fleeting pleasures of sin. Lord, give me a weariness of my sin and forgive me of my apathy towards God, but never, ever hand me over to a weariness of thyself. Would this be our prayer? Let my soul delight itself in marrow and fatness. Let me delight myself in thee, O God. Will you pray that way? Pray that way, beloved. Then you will find worship your delight. Then you will find prayer so sweet. Then you will find the commandments your joy. We're about to enter Psalm 119 after all next month. And you will find his commandments your joy as David did. And meditations on God through Christ would be your joy as you contemplate God. And you will also find it affect the second table of the law. You will love God's people and you will not be weary of them. You will be weary of unbelievers and spending time in the world, but you will not be weary of God's people. They're the body of Christ after all. You will serve them and pray for them too. And you will perform good works that God has ordained you to walk in. Why? Because you are not weary of God. And any place that God has found, you are there. That's the only way you will not be weary in well-doing is if you're not weary in God of God all begins with him yet even as we are convicted so greatly we praise God that there is still there is still grace and mercy for us who have been weary of him and that's what we conclude with in our final heading God's grace verse 25 I even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins Even with all this, God says he ought to be weary of bearing your sin. He says for his own sake, he will blot out our transgressions and not remember our sin. Is this the God that we are so weary of, friends? Is this the one that we are tired of? Tired of serving this God who pledges such grace and mercy and lavishes it upon us in Christ. What has he done that would cause us to ever tire of him? If you are wounded that you have been weary of him, he calls to you in this text, doesn't he? He tells you, remember who I am and I will forgive you of your weariness. But you must still find your delight and joy in me and not in your idols. You're not too weary of me. You're not too weary of my ordinances. You're not too weary of my ways. Instead, you must weary yourself of sin, the world, and the devil's ways of false worship, of idol worship, of polluted ordinances, of half-hearted sacrifice. My son, my daughter, the Lord Jesus says, be weary of the excess of this world, but never be weary of me. He says, my son, my daughter, give me thine heart. I have grace abounding to the chief of sinners. If you would just come to me. Whenever the temptation to be weary of him arises, then, beloved, remember who He is and say, O my soul, as I am tempted now to be weary of going to the Lord again in His ordinances, how could I ever be weary of Him? How could I ever be weary of Christ who did not rest until He accomplished my salvation? He did not have a place to lay His head so that I can be saved. How How can I be weary of Christ who gave all of Himself on the cross for my iniquities? Who even now does not weary of me at God's right hand as he intercedes and pleads, Father, forgive him. Father, forgive her. For they know not what they do even in their weariness of thee. And so if our sin is being weary with God, our duty is the opposite, isn't it? It's the contrary, to delight in him. Which is why our first heading kicked off the sermon that way. To remind you that God is delightful. And God is to be the Christian's desire And great delight. Psalm 7325 shows us desire. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Here is a man who is not weary of God. But we weary of God when there is anything on the earth, mark this well, that we desire more than him. What is it in the morning, or at any time really, but maybe the morning is a good, good test. What is it that you are not weary of in the day ahead? And compare that with your attitude towards going to God. And you need to find greater desire and delight in Him over that thing. And if that was desire, Psalm 37.4 shows us delight. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. You know, friends, as I was thinking on that verse, Why is it we are weary of a God that makes such promises? Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. You know, here's a God who promises and pledges to us grace if we would delight in him. And we delight in idols who are too much of a burden for the beasts of burden who carry them off. Do you see how backwards it is? Let me also say that many of us who are weary of him are probably weary in this life anyway, right? We chase the things that cannot give us life. It cannot give us strength. They cannot give us help. And of course we are weary and we find a kind of restlessness in our life and we are rather unsettled. But if you have seen a Christian settled and moored, if you have ever known a saint like that, whether in the scriptures or in your life who have lived in godliness and holiness, what can you know about this person? They have found their delight in God and he is their desire and their, 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 their tongue is like the pen of a ready writer. They always speak of him. They always think on him. They always desire him. Think of how Psalm 73.25 is framed in context with its surrounding verses. Whom have I in heaven but thee and there's none upon earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart faileth but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. When you, beloved, find that God is your desire, that you are not weary of him and you are not weary of going to him, you will find when flesh and heart fail, God is the strength of your heart and your portion When all leave you, and all leave you desolate, those who are not weary of God say, God is my portion. He is mine. Those who are not weary of God will not find weariness in life. And so the psalmist says it is good for him to draw near to God in his ordinances, and he does so with desire, delight, and without weariness. So consider the place the Lord has in your life, brethren in every place of life, your vocation, your worship, your time management, and ask if the reason he does not have a greater uh, greater presence in every sphere of your life is because you are weary of him. Think of all the saints in the scriptures who ran their race well. David, Paul, um, Mary Magdalene, even those who fumbled at times, at many times like Peter. What can you say of them? Their delight was ultimately in the Lord. He was their great interest. Do you get the sense that, yes, they stumble, yes, they fall, yes, they sin, but do you get the sense that they are weary of him? No. He was their all in all. Remember that great cloud of witnesses and imitate their faith. Finally, again, for your consideration, the soul that finds God wearisome is restless. Augustine made his great confession to God Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. If you're weary of God, you will not find rest. So would God say to us as we depart, Thou hast been weary of me. May you and I leave our time of worship resolving it may never be, but instead that we would resolve to find all of our joy in him. Pray for this great desire. It'll be his grace after all that accomplishes it. Tell your soul he has made a solemn promise. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And ask your soul this, O my soul, is this not one prayer that he is so pleased, so pleased to bless and grant if my prayer is to delight in him? Will he not give me that if that is my desire to remove any weariness I have of him? By faith, you must believe that he is pleased to answer such a prayer and to give this the desire of thine heart. So pray, beloved. Pray. Amen. Let us arise for prayer as we go to the Lord. O Lord, our God, help us to adore thee. Help us to delight in thee. Help us to say of a truth that we have none in heaven but thee and there is none in earth that we desire but thee. And that time in which our heart and our flesh fail, be our portion. Be the strength of our heart, O God. Forgive us whenever we have wearied of God. What a thing it is we don't know our God, Father. So help us to know our God. Help us to know Christ. Help us whenever the first motion of weariness towards the Lord appears. Help us instead to say, oh, my soul, how can I ever, ever despise such a God who has done such great things for me? And so, Father, we pray that you would grant us the desire of our heart. Thy people have come tonight because uh, we believe that they have come because they desire God. So grant them the desire of their heart that they would ever delight in thee. Uh, May none of us say that our hearts are restless. Instead, may we say that we have found our rest in thee. As Jesus Christ has said to us, come unto me and I will give thee rest. Help us to take his rest, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us sing Psalm 72, 15 through 19.